Hi everyone, this is JP. Welcome back to In The Scene Podcast. Today our guest is Steve Haig of the Destination Angler Podcast. And Steve is a great guest because he has so much to offer in regards to his wide range of thinking and talents. So first of all, he has a very successful podcast, which he's going to talk about and how with COVID he got into doing that. Steve is also a very accomplished angler. He's been uh, fishing for a long time. Interesting story on how he started fishing and um, a little bit about his dad. And also we're going to end the podcast talking about him as an artist. Uh, I have a lot of people that are artists on the podcast. And he's also a man of faith, and he talks a little bit about that and how that recharges him and motivates him. So here's Steve Haig on In the Scene Podcast. Enjoy. Okay, so today on the In The Scene podcast, we have Steve Haig of the Destination Angler podcast. Steve, welcome to our podcast. Hey, good to be here. Thanks, Jordan. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. It's been such a delight getting to know you from uh, listening and getting a referral from Dominic uh, Greco about your podcast. And then yeah. look at the look at the journey we've been on right now. I'm a sponsor. Yeah. I've been a guest and stuff. So yeah. Um, Steve, the way we usually do this is I like to have people kind of jump in and start talking about themselves a little bit. And if you don't mind, if you could take the mic and kind of introduce yourself and, and what you do and a little bit about yourself, please. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, so I live in Indianapolis now and just have always loved fishing. And um, my fir- uh, earliest fishing memories were fishing in this little creek that ran through our village in, in Toledo called the 10 mile Creek. And back in the sixties, it was completely polluted. Right. And, um, we used to sit on the, uh, called it the poop line. Raw sewage would come out of this poop line into the Creek and the carp loved it. And we used to catch carp as a kid in bluegills. And I can remember doing that for hours and hours, um, you know, fishing for carp. And, uh, then when I got to eighth grade, my, uh, my dad uh, went to a trout club over towards Cleveland, Castelli, Ohio, and uh, we ended up joining that club and started tying flies when I was in eighth grade. And I remember a good friend of his um, came over as a favor to my dad to teach my friend and I how to tie flies. So we started tying flies in eighth grade. I can remember tying, you know, woolly worms. And I don't think a woolly bugger existed back then. I'd never heard of a woolly bugger back <laughs> right, then, but right. woolly worms and Royal Coachman's and all these old style patterns that, you know, it turns out the trout are eating, you know, scuds and caddisflies in, in this, uh, at this stock place we used to go to called Rockwell Springs Trout Club over in Castalia. So yeah, some great memories uh, with my dad growing up and doing some fishing. Well, that's cool that um, you're one of those people that has this history of, of fishing with your father. Uh, and yeah. I, I did want to say like, so you're where you're located, you're not exactly in like the trout capital of the world. <laughs> right but so what are you got do you have some places you consider kind of your home waters now you know um like you said there's there's uh it's it's smallmouth fishing that's the game here smallmouth and largemouth bass and crappies and bluegill but i've always been more of a fly rod guy um and so 
you know, I just really like to gear up for trips that I'm going some, which is why I started the podcast. You know, I love going to destinations and, um, but, you know, here locally, we've got a, a mayor a couple towns over who stocked a bunch of trout in a, in a local stream. And, and so you can catch, you know, as long as the water's, uh, you know, cold in the winter, you can catch trout over there and they got a nice white bass run up there. So I'll be heading over there tomorrow and, uh, Really, any blue line pretty much in the state of Indiana is going to have smallmouth bass in it. And for you guys that uh, haven't been smallmouth bass fishing, boy, that's pound for pound. That's a fantastic fish. Um, you know, if you can get an 18-inch smallmouth bass in a creek that's, you know, like calf deep, you're in for a really fun time. And so we do quite a bit of that types of fishing as well. So, yeah. St so Steve, there's always the story like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, such and such can tow uh, such and such. For example, you know, I, I love to fish for jacks and stuff when we go down to the Florida Keys. And I kind of jokingly can say that like a, a 12 inch jack can tow a 10 pound grouper, you know, or something like that. But so, <laughs> yeah. so tell me smallmouth versus largemouth when you're fighting those guys, wh which one is, is like, what's the equivalent of smallmouth to largemouth in size? Because smallmouth are strong, aren't they? Yeah, they're much, I think, they, they fight much, much better. I, I, smallmouth to me is on par with a trout, for sure. You know, they jump, they run, they dig, you know. Um, so, you know, largemouths are fun. I've got nine lakes in my neighborhood. I live in a suburb, and so I can go out any day and just, you know, cast for, uh, for largemouth in our neighborhood. Uh, and they're pretty easy to catch, you know, most days. It's a lot of color, shape, and size, just like it is with other types of fish. Um, and it's fun to catch them on the surface, you know, uh, but smallmouth is just a whole nother game. And honestly, it's, it's, I'm newer to smallmouth fishing. I've been probably trout fishing most of anything, but um, since there's so much smallmouth fishing here, it's, it's just a ton of fun to do. So I'd say they're on par with trout. Yeah, that's true. I love them. Yeah. Mark, Mark Yusick and I, um, we, we can't put a smallmouth down to be honest with you. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's almost kind of fun when the water starts to warm up and you know that you're, you're going to just change tactics and start going for smallmouth. Yeah. We, we're, we're very blessed that we have pretty much um, everything in our backyard. We do have good trout fishery as well as bass. Yeah. So, yeah. so let's um, we're going to get into the podcast and, and you know, why you got into that and stuff like that. But before we do that, I want to, I want to get into the whole, you know, packing and traveling thing and stuff. You've been fly fishing a long time, right, Steve? Yeah. Like I said, since about eighth grade. So I'm 60 now. Yeah. Yeah. So and, uh, um, long time. when, when you started to kind of do the, you know, pack up and start traveling and, and stuff like that. Now, you know, me, I got a two-year-old and a five-year-old, so it's hard to travel, but you're a little older than me. So when, like, tell tell me about some of the early places you used to do and you kind of got the bug to travel to fish. Okay. So it's funny, a funny story. When I was in college, I was in a band. So I used to play guitar in a band and we were terrible. <laughs> you know, nobody could sing, you know, but we were loud and we could, you know, we had a beat. So we got hired a few times. And I remember uh, a sorority hired us to play at the Isaac Walton Lodge, which is over, I went to Miami, Ohio. And uh, the Isaac Walton Lodge is on a lake. And you're all in college and none of us had, we all had our fishing poles with us. And so we thought, you know, at the break, we'll just go out there and fish a little bit. And, uh, you know, we were out there so long, the lady came out. She's like, you know, if you guys don't get back in here and play again, we're going to, we're not going to pay you. <laughs> so... <laughs> Me and the drummer and the keyboardist and the other guitar players were all out there fishing, having a blast. This is at night, 
right? And uh, finally, we came back in and, and finished the set. Needless to say, we did not get a tip. So, um, you know, I just had the bug all my life. But when I started, I don't know, really traveling for fishing, I, I started, um, when I first got married, uh, a buddy of mine was working in an Orvis store in Toledo, and I was down here in, in uh, Indianapolis. And uh, he invited me up to the Osaba River. And I'd been up there before. This is in Michigan, Grayling, Michigan. And um, my dad's grandfather, father my grandfather used to fish the osable and then uh my dad fished the osable and then he took me up there when i was like six years old and i remember we stayed at one of these really old fish camps up there the place was called wawasum and uh, it was owned at the time by the stranahan family my dad was friends with these guys and they were kind of a big deal in toledo and i can remember my dad you know casting from the canoe with my mom and my sister in the canoe and i remember him catching trout a little brook trout i'll never forget when he pulled that in i got to look at it up close I remember looking at this little probably 10 inch brook trout i can remember the cast i can remember the fish coming up for the rise the splash pulling it in and that was that was it i was you know literally hooked from then on i just wanted to fish all the time um you know then since then my dad started um going out to montana and one of the one of his cronies canceled at the last minute so guess who got the nod now, this is right after the movie, you know, what I'm talking about yep. River two, it came out in early nineties. I think it came out in 91 and this was in like in 93. So I got the nod to go to Montana and, um, you know, off we went and it was me and these, you know, 12 old farts, you know, they're all like the age that I am now. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, but back then they just seemed like a lot of old people, but, you know, not only did they drink me under the table, these guys were all drinking, you know, gin and whiskey and bourbon and stuff like that. And I just, I couldn't keep up. I didn't even want to, I don't drink a lot, but I didn't even want to keep up. We had a blast and we had the same guide all week long. So we had, I think we fished for four or five days. My mom came out and joined us on the fifth day. Uh, and that introduced me to Montana and Montana was a different place back in the early nineties, right? It wasn't as crowded as it is now. Like on the, we fished the Madison a couple of times mm -hmm. and um, we might've saw seen, you know, one or two other boats on the Madison. Hmm. And we went over and fished the Bighorn for a day and we saw a few more over there, but not that many. And I've heard that those, those fisheries are, are slammed today. It's yeah. not, can't handle it right because there's a like eight thousand fish per mile in madison but it's just a different deal yeah so um that was just incredible you know just to have a guided you know experience all week long i don't even do that today i might get a guide you know on one day to get dialed in and then and i'm off on my own mm -hmm. but that was that was a treat to do that and then spend that time with my dad and since then i've taken my son out to montana several times done the same thing well that's cool passing it on is, is cool yes yeah. interesting though how the world is um, is changing and it is getting crowded. I mean, um, you've obviously you've been back out west, like you said, and mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of people recently on the podcast that I've recorded. I got to publish them, but um, uh, one guest in particular has just moved to Livingston, Montana, from uh, and they were actually in Jackson, uh, Jackson. And, Jackson, uh, Michigan or no in uh, Jackson, Wyoming, Jackson. Oh, Hall. Wyoming. Oh, Jackson. Hall. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And she was talking just about how it just has gotten so um, big, you know, and Bozeman and a lot of these uh, yeah. towns are really like cities, you know, and, um, yeah, and that's a little bit scary. So one of the things I'm going to cue you up now, we'll talk about it a little bit later is, is some of the destinations you've learned about that you would feel are 
not yet spoiled or, or have the capacity because they're kind of maybe recently discovered or just kind of getting on the map. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but um, I wanted to jump in. It's kind of an interesting story about the podcast. If you're willing to talk about it, you, sure. you have, you've been extremely successful uh, and you've been sharing along with your podcast about how your uh, listenership is like doubling and, and yeah. in a short amount of time and everything, which is so cool. Tell us how you got into it, why, and um, why you chose, you know, the topic that you chose. Tell us the story about the podcast, Steve. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I've been very fortunate. I'd definitely say it's a God thing, you know, that uh, the podcast has taken off. You know, I started this during COVID and um, I work for a, a, a school, a business school. And, um, you know, during COVID, companies did not want to hear from us. So, you know, what am I going to do for the next four months? And my boss said, you know, hey, I'm refinishing some furniture. Why don't you find something to do? You know, so I said, all right, well, I've always, I've thought about starting a podcast for a long time. And I think I'm going to do that. And my initial goal was, could I, you know, maybe hit 500 listeners, you know, and, uh, you know, and 5,000 would be a stretch. And, you know, I, you know, very fortunate to have passed that long, long ago. And uh, it's just really exploded. So I, it just seems like, um, you know, people are, you know, interested in, in what are the top destinations, you know, within, you know, a, a plane ride or a day's drive where they live. And so for whatever reason, it seems to have uh, struck a chord. And, uh, you know, a lot of these places I've been to, and a lot of them I've heard of, and some of them I haven't, I get a lot of tips from other guides that I talk to on, you know, you know, where I should, uh, you know, focus for a show. Uh, and I talk to a lot of people, you know, um, uh, it's, it's, I love, talking to guides and people in the industry to figure out where my next show is going to be. Uh, but so what I'm going for with the, um, with the destination angler is like, imagine if, if you walked into a fly shop, uh, you know, and you, you've got guides lined up for the day and you walk into the fly shop to meet your guy, you know, that Jordan, you know, like that vibe you feel mm -hmm. you fly shop. Right. I mean, there's, yeah. there's this, this anticipation, right. This excitement. It's like, Oh man, I've got a whole day ahead of me this should be great. I'm fishing some famous Western river or wherever you are, or, you know, wading Penn's Creek or something like that in Pennsylvania. Uh, and I, have, I don't have a care in the world. Right. And uh, I wanted to recreate that vibe, you know, or so maybe it's somebody walking in the fly shop who's a do it yourselfer and they walk up to somebody at the counter, hopefully get somebody who's knowledgeable and say, Hey man, dial me in, you know, what's it take to be successful here? You know, tell me some stories. Oh, by the way, what's your background, you know? And, uh, so that's what we're doing on the Destination Anglers, really just trying to get people dialed into, you know, uh, new great destinations around the country. And you're trying to stay domestic, Steve? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to do a show. I'm publishing a show here in another week or so uh, on so fishing around the world. And we're going to end up settling in on Guatemala, which mm -hmm. is um, according to this guy is like the best place to go bill fishing. Like he's had hundred fish days down there on a fly rod. Yeah. So I want to hear about that. You know, it's yeah. in Guatemala. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but for the most part, there's plenty, you know, there's plenty of locations in, in North America. You know, I feel like I've just barely scratched the surface. So you don't feel like you're, um, you're losing inventory, so to speak of places. Mm -hmm. It's, there's still a lot of opportunity, right? Yeah, totally. You know, in, in five years from now, I'll go back and, and, and do a follow-up on the El Sable in Michigan, the Henry's Fork in Idaho and, and Poudre. And uh, matter of fact, I think we need to follow up on the Poudre right now. It got hit with a wildfire last year. Hmm. You know? So places I was fishing with the guide I interviewed last year, and those places are ash this year. 
Wow. You know, so uh, things change, you know, river systems change over time, hopefully for the better, but not, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that I, I booked a trip for in June with, uh, with Pogo. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm going pike fishing on the Housatonic with one of your, one of your guests. Pogo Pike. The strips. Better learn the strip set, man. That sounded like the key, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, sure I, I've never had to do that. You know, it's, yeah. I'm, Setting, you know, and, and the whole this the whole tip dance thing that you do when you get close to the boat. I mean, it's right. I'm, I'm so and I will tell you again, this is a testament to your podcast on um, and listening to the guests. Is I want to go and I want to be with this guy because he's kind of like a celebrity now because I heard him on the podcast and I want to learn from him. It's not so much catching fish. Yeah. I yeah. want to learn from this guy, you know. Yeah, I think that's the guy. Yeah, Pogo has a I think he has a, a, a world record walleye. I think he said, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, I might've caught it in Canada. I can't remember. But anyway, he, uh, yeah. he kind of lucked into it, but uh, he's, he's been pretty successful as an angler and a guide. Yeah. But it's a, but so again, it's, it's, it's what, you know, it's from, it's from the podcast. So let's, let's, um, let's switch over for a second and start talking about some of the destinations and places that you've learned about that maybe you haven't even been to yet that you were like, holy cow, I didn't know about this or I didn't know about that. What are some of the destinations that you look yeah. at that you find interesting? Oh, man. Well, you know, every one of them, I only do a show on them if, if I find they're interesting and will be interesting to my uh, clients, you know. And, uh, you know, personally, I have a penchant for, for wild, uh, you know, unstocked, you know, wilderness type of settings, right? So, like, um, I did a show on the Yukon. Right. And I don't think anybody's going to fly up to the Yukon because it's really not, it would be great to go up there, but you're, you're kind of doing it yourself. You know, it's not really an evolved fishing destination yet, but maybe that's exactly what some people are looking for. And I found that guy. So interesting. gave her that Revest is his name. And he goes moose hunting and, and bull trout fishing at the same time. And he's packing the moose into the bottom of the canoe, you know, the meat in the bottom of the canoe and he's canoeing home, you know, bull trout fishing, you know, and it's just uh Talk about wilderness, right? You can completely get away from it all up there. So, um, you know, the, some of the my favorite things to do are high mountain lakes. And I've only been able to find one guide so far who was willing to talk about high mountain lakes. And, you know, I never asked my guides that I interviewed to give away any of their hunting holes. And occasionally they'll slip and say something and they'll call me afterwards and you got to edit that out. And I'm like, no problem. We'll get it out of there. But um, we did a show on Alpine Lakes in Colorado. And really the, the lessons that he talked about would apply to any Alpine Lake. And that show has done really well. It was my number one show for a long, long time. Um, and so, you know, all those Alpine Lakes, like in um, Rocky Mountain National Park, I mean, you can get, I know it's a busy park, but you can get back into the backcountry and get away from it all. The other place is uh, um, the Beartooth Range in Montana. I have not done a show there yet. I can't find anybody because very few people are outfitted, have a license to go up into the Beartooths, you know. Uh, but I've been through there a lot and there's like 600 lakes up there and uh, most of them have trout in them and you can find lakes in the Beartooth with big trophy trout like the fish that you see on my Destination Angler podcast you know photo that you know is plastered it's my logo right that I caught in the Beartooth is at 10,000 feet at right at tree line it's a 24 inch cutthroat I caught that with my son you know and the day I caught that thing um I thought I had like some ancient fish on it. It looked so big by the reflection in the water. It looked like it was three feet long. I thought, my gosh, I've caught a coelacanth. What is this thing? <laughs> you know, 
and I reeled it in and measured it was 24 inches, you know, so it's always that small. Yeah, it's a great fish. A, a 24 inch cutthroat who's under ice probably nine months out of the year, you know, and I just tossed a leech over a ledge and boom, he came out from underneath that ledge and hammered that thing. Mm-hmm. And, and the great thing was I got to catch that with my son. It took us two days to hike up in there. We backpacked in there. This is just like maybe four or five years ago. And um, I'd done some research on the lakes up there and I found I found a blog post. Somebody had talked about how they were catching nice fish up there. It was really obscure. And I was like, well, I'm going to, we ended up having to bushwhack into that lake. Like we could get to within about a mile of it off of trails. And then we just had to get the compasses out and find this thing. It was up another, maybe a thousand, 2000 feet higher than us. And we got up there and we spent the day up there and, Oh, I don't know. We maybe caught 80 fish a day or, or per person. You know, it got silly. Like you'd have two on at once. You don't have to move to just make it interesting again. And then, you know, finally I caught this gigantic fish and my son's got the whole thing on video. And uh, yeah, we were pretty excited. And then we got back down to camp and my two buddies that were with us, they didn't want to come up there. They just wanted to fish. We were at this lake called Dewey Lake uh, and on the Beartooth, right off, right on the beaten path it's called, which is this very famous trail, comes out of kind of Cook City area. Uh, and uh, they had caught nothing all day. <laughs> So my son and I were like, well, let's just keep it really quiet. You know, let's not like brag about the kind of day that we had. Oh, come on. And finally, finally about halfway through dinner, they're like, so how'd you guys do? And we're like, eh, it was okay. <laughs> like, no, no, really. How'd you do? That was unbelievable. You know, we were like, <laughs> I got the biggest trout I've ever caught in my life, 24 inches. And before we knew it, we just spilled the beans and just like, it was just, and they're like, oh, great. You know, they were happy for us, but they're also like, oh, crud, you were down here and didn't catch anything. They were both you know, uh, newer fly fishermen, you know, so, uh-huh. but, you know, Hey, we invited them. They just, you know, and I'm sure my friend Chris is going to listen to this podcast and he's going to hear this Chris. So I'm sorry. You didn't come up with us that day. I wish you would have been there, man. It was a, it was a banner day for sure. But anyway, but you asked me a question, like what, uh, where do I want to go? Was that the question? Well, we could get into that. No, I was just, I was talking about, you know, some of the destinations that you, some of the places maybe you didn't quite know about, but then, you know, right, one right, place right. leads to another, leads to another, that some of the okay. interesting ones then people well, might not uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, great question. So the one that, that I don't know how I missed this all this year is because I've been to Yellowstone and Montana so many times, but I've never fished Henry's fork. I've always heard about it, you know, and then I thought, well, shoot, I'm going to do a show on Henry's fork. And I ended up getting the state biologist for region six over there. Great guy do a show with me. And it sounds absolutely amazing. You know, there's that Harriman Ranch, I think it's called the railroad section. And there's just, there's a hundred miles of water, right? And a lot of it is public access. That sounds absolutely incredible. That and Slough Creek, which is in the park. uh, That's one of my top shows now. I did a show with a a guy from uh, Montana Angling Company. And um, I always thought it was just going to be so crowded. You don't hear how crowded it is, but he's like, it's not that crowded. And you can get up in there and you got to do some hiking. So you got to get to the first, second or third meadow. The third meadow is eight miles. The first meadow is only like a mile up there. And the second meadow is a couple miles further, but it's big. You know, it's like, a, it's like a mile or two long. I may be off on this a little bit because it's been a while since I recorded it. But uh, that is, that's like spring creek fishing. It's not a spring creek per se, but it's, you know, it's, it's slower. Yeah, it's like it. Water. And yeah, and it's full of cutthroat. And, you know, I remember he said, you have to use a downstream presentation. You can't cast over them. Even using thin tippets, you just can't do that. You got to go downstream for them to get them. And you walk the bank and you're sight casting to 
you know, big cutthroat, big wild Yellowstone cutthroat in Yellowstone National Park. And every time I'd been there, I fished the lower Slough Creek before. And all the guys coming out of the trail, they all say the same thing. Yep, I saw some bears. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to see some bears, uh, you know, and you want to see some wildlife, boy, that's the place to go. Um, I would love to do that one. What kind of bears, if you don't, I mean. Well, talking. there's, I'm sure there are all kinds up there, but there's grizzly bears up there. There's and grizzlies, black yeah. Bears and, uh, and I've, I've been to Yellowstone five or six times and, and I've only seen bears once. We saw five bears in one day last two summers ago when I was out there and I've not seen a bear ever before then. So it's, it's not that common, you know, and the locals will tell you, if you see a grizzly bear, you're lucky, you know, that's like fortunate. Really? I don't really want to see one. I wouldn't mind seeing one from the car. I kind of don't want to see one when I'm hiking. My first trip out there, we, we are, <laughs> and we're in Yellowstone and we, um, we went through some Buffalo to get to, uh, to get to the Creek. And um, when yeah. we got there, we fished and lo and behold, a grizzly came down on the opposite side. Really? A ways away, ways away, yeah. 50, 80 yards away, plopped down and started tearing open a log that the log was probably like, you know, two, three feet in diameter. And he wow. just starts tearing the thing apart, eating grubs. And um, yeah. it was surreal because I was watching it and captivated by it. And my brain had to go like, you're you. You could see him. He could see you. <laughs> You know, but yeah. uh, you know, I've been outside enough, but yeah, uh, it's interesting to know that I guess I was pretty fortunate to see one. So, right. so, so Steve, you're, you're, you're hanging out out West quite a bit here on some of these places. I'd like you to yeah. pull into the East cause uh, you got some stories about some interesting guests. And by the way, the, the recent main podcast is awesome. We could talk about that too, but let's yeah, talk about some great. stuff in the East. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, he was great. Yeah. So, um, you know, way east, I, I did a show uh, on Grand Bahama Island with a guy named Greg Vincent. And uh, boy, I, I've, I've actually not done any bone fishing before, but uh, I just I'd love to do that. And uh, he's got 100 miles of coastline up there on Grand, the North Shore of Grand Bahama Island. And um, I believe the other outfitters were their, their, their places were taken out by the hurricane last September. And so he's like the guy. And uh, there's big bonefish up there like uh you know, 10 pounders is, is, is possible out there. So that, as far as ocean fishing goes, man, I'd love to do that. Um, the Adirondacks the show I did with you, that sounds amazing. All that backcountry stuff really interests me. And it'd be a good excuse to buy one of those lightweight Kevlar <laughs> hornbacks. Hornbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Common use are, did you see the fish I got Wednesday? Yeah, man. Yeah. I got four of them like that. Oh, geez. So the Adirondacks, I mean, what, 6 million acres and half of its wilderness. That sounds absolutely amazing. Um, you know, there's just so much in Pennsylvania to explore. Uh, yeah. I was going to say Pennsylvania seems like this awesome place endless, now. Endless, right? Uh, there is like 2000 miles of brook trout streams in, in Western Virginia, you know, and I, I interviewed the, uh, he's kind of like the fishing evangelist for the state, uh, Jim McCrickard, great guy. Early on, we did a smallmouth show in the James River, but he was before the show. He was talking about the, you know, the uh, brook trout fishing up there in the uh, in the mountains of Virginia. That sounds incredible. Um, you know, there's some tailwaters. Uh, there's some some creeks in northern Georgia that hold some big fish. Um, you know, there's uh, there's striper fishing. We haven't even touched that yet. You know, right. uh, some great striper fishing in some of these lakes and rivers and tailwaters. Um, you know, so uh, it's endless. I, it, Vermont, 
New Hampshire. Uh, there's plenty to talk about up there. What'd you think of the main, the recent one about Maine? Did that, did that interest you? Oh my gosh. Well, Maine, um, it's, it's, it's what I love about Maine is the wilderness, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's get to this West Fork of the Penobscot. It's, you know, he was saying you couldn't even get in there in May, right? It's so muddy. It's hard to get in there. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff I personally look for. And um, I got a buddy, I mentioned this on that podcast. I got a buddy that goes out to Maine every year to Rangeley, which is a kind of like a hot area, you know. Yep, I go there too. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, I fish the Rapid River. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. So you've caught landlocks before? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, my buddy has been talking about landlocks. And Will, if you're listening, you know, I'm talking about you. And he's like, they just go nuts when you catch them. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And, uh, but then I looked into it and then I uh, got this show together. And uh, it sounds fantastic. So that's, that's on my bucket list. Somehow. So I'm going to stop you for a second. Cause you, yeah, can, you can come to, you can come to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We can grab my Jeep Rubicon and my, and my uh, trail marker trailer. We can head up to the Adirondacks special couple, couple days in the Adirondacks and then help head up to Maine. It's right there. Yeah. Come on. That's a trip. Let's do this. You know? So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it sounds fantastic. He yeah. wasn't kidding about the log trucks, by the way. Oh, really? That's true. They are yeah. nuts. Yeah, I've done some flying fishing in Canada, and we used to have to drive from where I lived in Toledo up to uh, Nakina, Canada, which is up through the Sioux, Sioux Saint Marie, Michigan. It took us sixteen hours to get up there, and about four hours of that were on logging roads. You know, washboard logging roads. You know, they like jiggle all the bolts apart in your truck <laughs> by the time you get there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh huh. And you know, you've got uh, just it's not good for cars, but anyway, yeah, I've experienced those logging, uh, those logging trucks. It's and a, yeah. Moves. Yeah, and moves, yeah. No, I was going to so. say it's a death trap because the roads, just like you said, are bumpy. So you want to get like to the right speed, which is usually yeah. faster than you really want to go so that it's comfortable. And then one of those trucks comes around the corner and you're going too fast. You're, so you're, you got a problem. Yeah. So Steve, we talked about this too, kind of like on our pregame call, the the characters that yeah. you that you run into uh that are guides and stuff like that interesting interesting folk yeah they are yeah that's uh you know you never you never quite know what you're gonna get you know you I, I do these pre-calls like you do and um you know I look for personality you know the more bubbly the personality for somebody who knows what they're talking about you know uh so it's that combination of knowledge personality I always ask them you know tell stories you know I want to hear some stories and uh, I think that makes it memorable and interesting and they'll say yeah 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 and some of them get on there and they don't tell a single story you know and you just they're just not storytellers you know and others got more stories than we got time for you know yeah and, yes. uh, I think the like the second show I did was with a guy down in um the Whitewater uh, sorry, the White River in, in Arkansas, which Arkansas. I've been to many times. And we fished with him uh, on a church trip that I organize every year. And so we fished with Chad Johnson is his name. And he he is a great storyteller. You know, he's talking about the caddis hatch and his bugs hatching in the cup holders. And I mean, you can't not want to go there after listening to Chad Johnson <laughs> talk about the White River. You want to go, you know. Yeah. And, uh, they've had world record, world record trout come out of that place. And uh, in that area is where Joe Humphreys goes every year to try to get his infamous 20 pound Brown that he's been chasing for all these years and never quite landing one. But uh, yeah, Chad's a trip, you know, and Chad's story is, you know, he lived in Mississippi, didn't even know what a fly rod was and got invited on a trip with some buddies and he came back and I think he caught two 
fish and he's telling his wife how great it was. His wife's like, well, you must've caught a lot of fish. No, not really. Well, uh, you must've caught a couple big ones. Mm, no, not really. Well, then what was it? Well, I used a fly rod for the first time and it was amazing, you know, and he was, he was hooked. And he, I think he was going to be a contractor, you know, maybe hanging drywall for a living or something. I'd have to call him up and ask him to refresh my memory on that. But he ended up getting into guiding, you know, and now he's a top guide on that river system. You want a great guide, a great guy and a great guide Call Chad and he's the head, head dude at uh, Dally's. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he was, a, he was a real kick. I enjoyed him, you know, and then um, one of my favorite shows is the one I did on the pooter with Joe McHugh and Joe is just, um, I don't know. He's just like a, an older soul type of, type of a guy who, you know, really had a lot of deeper things to talk about. And I love talking to Joe. He talked about his faith. He's also an artist like I am. He was talking about, dragging a lawn chair up there and popping this lawn chair out and painting. And I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. If there's a hatch going on, are you painting or are you fishing? He's like, Oh no, I'm fishing then. <laughs> right. You know? And so there's like, Joe was, and we went out and fished with Joe last summer on the pooter, which was great. Um, you know, the, the guy in, in Penn's Creek, we fished with Jonas and his crew out of Penn's Creek and, and uh, Jonas is, I knew he'd be a hoot. And uh, he was, you know, he was, he was awesome. Oh, you walk in his, you walk in his shop and you just better be ready. You better have some Teflon on because he's going to, you know, in a fun way, right. He's going to come after you. He's going to like, look at your boots and go, where'd you get those Walmart, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I got to get some dirt on him because I'm going to walk into his shop and he's going <laughs> to say something to me. And I want, I want something that you gave me, Steve, and I'm going to give it back to him. Ah. Uh, I don't know what to tell you about. Don't that. tell me on air. No, we'll do it later. Okay. <laughs> he's, but... a, he's a, he's a really good guy. You know, and he cares a lot about that fishery and man, those guys, Penn's Creek uh, is super technical, right? It is not for the beginner. Right. I right. took all these beginners out there with my church trip. There were 16 of us. And I remember the first day, uh, the first night we're fishing on our own. Nobody caught any fish. We caught nothing, including me. And, you know, by the next day we're like, you know, these guys are putting one split shot on and taking one off and putting two on and taking one off, you know, that drop shot rig. And, um, and that's like, you're moving 20 feet and you're changing up, you know, the weight on your nymph rig and you're moving another 20 feet feet and you're changing it up. And that's what you've got to do. Uh, that was such an aha moment there to have to fish like that. that so, and that podcast, by the way, the fact that you had two people was a yeah. cool dynamic to that. Yeah. podcast. I'm going to do some more of that. Matter of fact, I was just talking to a, a lady who runs Fly Fisher Women's United out in Jackson, and uh, and we're thinking about doing that with her show. So yeah, we might do more, more of that. Uh, Chris Rains up in uh, on the PM. I fished with Chris this fall for Steelhead. Uh, fishing wasn't very good. The fish weren't really in yet, uh, but we had a great time with Chris. He was a hoot. You know, just a funny guy. Um, you know, I forget what his background was, um, but you know, a lot of these guys you know, it's, it's, they love the outdoors. Um, you know, they're, they're a super people person. Most of them are, are pretty outgoing people. And I just, I've always loved just talking to my guys, you know, the stories that they have, you know, the advice they can give you, um, just kind of like how they view the world. I just think is fascinating. Yeah, and they, they're extroverted. They seem to be. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, they're going, they've got, they've got a job to do, right. You know, they know that, People don't just tip based on how hard you work and, and, and uh, you know, it's also on how good the fishing is, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. 
that's I don't tip that way. I fish on or tip based on how hard you work and how pleasant you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, you know, because you, you really can't control the fishing, right? Right. Yeah. Per se. Uh, but you know, they you know, these guys realize that. Uh, but um they're they're trying to run a business and they know that it's a people business. And uh, you know, a lot of them like Chad, you know, were maybe gonna be construction workers or something like that, and just you know, for whatever reason decided that that just wasn't for them. Um, right. You know, I've, uh, several of the guys interviewed, you know, they had corporate jobs and were like, I hate this, you know, right. threw the pen down and walked out the door and it's like, I'm going out West or wherever I'm going to go. And I'm going to be a guy. So. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's enduring. You know, a lot of their yeah. stories are, they are, are, you know, you know, you the proverbial, you know, take this job and shove it. It's kind of, know, yeah. Kind of, it's kind of, a, kind of exciting. And yeah, it is exciting good. in a way, you know, but I will, I, I did want you to elaborate on one thing also yeah. about the guides and guiding is offline. Is anybody, any of the older guides that have been doing this a while talk about how there's a lot more people getting into it and how they feel about that, that you know, that, the that I hear, yeah. a, I hear a lot of that in Isla Mirada that they're like, you know, oh, there's really? just, there's just so many boats coming down all the time. Do you hear much yeah. off air of people oh, saying, well, that? off and on? I mean, I, I bring it up. I mean, some of these systems, it's like, let's not kid ourselves. You know, the Madison's a busy river, you know? Um, and so, so the question to me that I want to pose is, so how do you beat the crowds? It's a busy river. What do you do by it? Or, you know, we've had a lot of guests talk about etiquette, you know, like people jumping in ahead of you, you know, how do you handle that? You know, you're sitting there with a, with a logo of your company on your t-shirt, you know, and, you know, how do you handle that? And uh, I think so much of it is just, you know, you just, um, you're polite, you know, and, and if you want to jump in, you know, if it's a crowded situation, you ask, you don't just do it. You ask, you know, I mean, I look, way I look at it is, is people go fishing because they want to relax and have a good time. So I'm going to assume that you're in a good mood on a trout stream, but I'm also going to assume that I can put you in a bad mood pretty quickly. If I start horning in on your spot. <laughs> yeah. And if I ask, uh, and this is what most of these guides say, you know, just ask. Um, the other thing is, is that, um, you know, like I remember interviewed um, Josh Edwards on the Yellowstone, which is a show that's done really well. And Josh was my booking agent, so to speak. He worked at uh, George Anderson's Yellowstone Angler at the time when I was out there a number of years ago. And he booked our trip and he gave us a great tip on where I could take Peter and his roommates from college were with me and where we could go that first night. And he gave me a great tip on a stream up in Paradise Valley where you could jump in there. And I I've never forgot that. And Josh has since become a guide. Uh, and now he's an outfitter. He just got his outfitter's license too. And he's like, you know, just let him go. Let him go by you. You know, we'll just wait for if there's a couple of boats that want to fish by you. And, you know, if they, if they pick up and go around, you know, that's great. If they don't, it's like, okay, I'll make a mental note of who that guide is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and just know that that's what you get with that guy. But, th- you know, these guides all know each other. A lot of them are t- texting each other before they head out in the morning like okay where are you going mm-hmm. where are you guys going? and they're trying to spread out as much as they can um and you know a lot of these rivers there's more room than you think you know and if you've got like a madison river with eight thousand fish per mile you're still catching fish i'd like yeah. to be the first boat down don't get me wrong i certainly would like to be the first boat down but it's probably not going to happen you know most guys want to meet you at eight o'clock you're on the water by eight three or nine you know, some of them will get up and get out there early, but not usually. So, you, and some of the people that have been, I, I guess specifically, maybe 
out west or the Madison, have you talked to any of the guides that like, you know, are kind of old dogs that have been around a long time and talking about the old days and and uh, you get any of that? Yeah, not so much. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think some of the older guys that I've talked to um, that have been around for a while. And uh, I mean, 20 years is a long time. To it be is. Good, right. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Most people, you know, they, it's early, something they do, you know, early to mid career and they kind of do something else later. Like you're an example, you were a guide, right? I was, yeah. Uh, in my twenties. Right. In your twenties. That's very common. So there's not as many old, older folks, you know, that are our age that are, um, that are guiding, honestly. So I can't say that. I've well, the reason guys. I say that, you know, like I had Mike Crawford on my podcast and he, yeah. when he, um, was on it was right when the snow was starting to melt mm -hmm. and he was saying how he just couldn't believe it was like the thaw after covid so to speak and he was going to these uh parking areas and he just couldn't believe the junk numbers and, and, and the number the of people just just yeah. the effect of of the impact of all the people and stuff and that's kind of like what i end up hearing you know the more and more i do this the more i enjoy talking to some of the older people Me in, too. The, in the adirondacks and, and the common thing i hear is respect for others and respect for the land and yeah um there are a lot of encouraging <laughs> stories right i have to say yeah i don't know it's um you know years ago i mean i remember talking to who was it? Maybe it was Chris Rains on the PM. Yeah, I think he said, you know, people at like the turn of the century, for instance, Michigan, they logged that place flat. They ran all the logs down the rivers. You know, there used to be Grayling and all those rivers up there. There's a town called Grayling, Michigan, you know, and uh, and you, you have to have pristine water for Grayling uh, to live. And, you know, they're all gone now. And, uh, but his comment was people did not know back then that they could deplete the resource, you know, so they were taking 50, 60 trout out of a stream in a day. Oh, this is great. You know, mm -hmm. and um, you know, probably half of them are dead by the time they got, you know, no refrigeration back then. You know, I was wondering what are you, you going to do at 50 to 60 trout? Right. But they had literally fishing camps up there. And, you know, it may be true that people didn't realize they could deplete the resource. Like, and we're smarter than that. Now we all know better. Right. And so mm -hmm. when I, you know, so often when you talk to people about fishing, well, how many did you keep, but you got a freezer full. No, I didn't keep any. What, you know, you still get that. And I know people, well, they're people that don't fish. They don't get it. You know, I so know. if you have hung around fly fishing for even just a little while, you're very quickly going to pick up on a vibe, you know, like it's, it's catch and release. It's keep them wet. You know, it's conserve the resource, you know, and like the quickest way to, um, to, to have a guy take you to his worst spots is by saying, do you mind if we can keep a few? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. to go to, you know, if you want to go to the best spots, you don't say that. Even if you're thinking that, you don't say that. Now, some river systems like the White River, I mean, you know, Steve Daly told me that the average life expectancy of a rainbow in that river is 90 days. And the state is just constantly throwing new trout in that river. And so, really? you know, yeah, he said that, you know, when we were fishing and, you know, it, so if you go in February and March, you can get those gigantic fish, right, that are totally wild and you can still catch wild fish up there, but you do get a lot of stalkers up there and people, you know, they like to keep them. I mean, I don't think it's anything wrong with eating a trout every now and then. Heck, I interviewed Joe Humphreys. He still eats a trout every now and then, you know? Yeah. You just got to be smart about it. 
you know, particularly like if you catch a trout and you hooked it way in the gills and it's bleeding like heck, don't throw it back in because you're just going to die. Keep it, you know, but better yet, don't, you know, um, use small hooks and use barbless hooks and, and try not to kill them. Right. So Joe, your experience with Joe is an interesting sidebar. You just mentioned Joe. Yeah. He, he got two, he got two, um, back to back episodes because you had so much mm. stuff to talk about with joe yeah. and um if anybody wants to hear those podcasts and 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 more about his stories they should just listen to the podcast however i do have some insight from you that yeah. joe is an interesting guy he's got kind of a kind of an aura or energy about him doesn't he yeah man yeah i so enjoy talking to joe i mean part of me is just like pinching myself you know when uh you know, I had to first kind of talk to his daughter, Dolores, who if you see the movie Live the Stream, you know, she's both Joe's daughters are featured in there. She's a wonderful lady, you know, but she's she's the gatekeeper, you know, so I had to sort of run the gauntlet with Dolores. And, uh, you know, who are you? What's your podcast? What kind of questions do you want to ask him? How long have you been doing this? How many listens do you have? You know, she's asking all the right questions. And, you know, and then finally I got through that and uh, she's like, great, well, you know, give my dad a call. And I'll let them know you're going to call. And so get on the phone with Joe and we do our little pre-call. And we said a great, you know, we talked for about an hour and kind of laid out what we're going to talk about on the show. And I picked up pretty early on. He's a, he's a believer and we have that in common. And, uh, and um, you know, then it came time to record the show. Well, actually before that, his wife, uh, sorry, his daughter texted me or emailed me or something and said, Hey, I, I saw you're an artist. You mind if I share that with, with my dad? I said, Oh yeah, sure. No problem. And I didn't think anything of it. And before the show started, before I, I pushed the record button, you know, Joe's on the phone. I'm like, Hey, how's it going, Joe? Glad to have you. He's like, Steve, before we get started, I just got to say one thing. I was like, Oh man, I screwed up. What did I do? <laughs> you know, he's mad at me, you know, and he's, and he just went on and on about my artwork. And, uh, I didn't have anything to do with it. He just went on and on. He couldn't have been more gracious to me, right? Here's Joe Humphreys, one of the most famous fly fishermen in the world, who's saying things like, I'm honored to be on your podcast, you know, and talking about my artwork before the show, during the show, you know, and, uh, and he made me feel like a million dollars. And during the podcast, he said, you know, the secret to life is to have something exciting to look forward to. And you think about it, he's going to go fishing, you know, just about every day, right? So he's always got something exciting. He's got a lot of trips planned. And, but I also think, and I've told him this, I said, Joe, I think you're also, the other secret you have is you make everybody around you feel great. And, uh, and you're darn good at something, you know, you're darn good at fly fishing, you know? So it's, to me, it's kind of those three things. That's what I really took away from my interview with Joe is that he, um, whoever he's around, it's about you, right? Not about him. I, sure, he'll give you, you know, come watch me fish stuff. And he does a lot of that. So you could say it's kind of about him, but really he's very interested in the people that he encounters, right? He wants to know how these people are doing. And he, and he has a very strong insight into, into personalities. You know, if you listen to the stories he told in my podcast about those kids coming up to him, you know, and, you know, one kid had kind of a little attitude about it. Yeah, you know, I think I could outfish just about anybody. And I think I could outfish anybody in this shop. He was, he was signing, uh, you know, signing ball caps, you know, and the kid hands him a ball cap. And Joe says, well, if you could outfish me, then what would I do for a living? And the kid says, we could always sign ball caps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Joe just got such a kick out of that, you know? Yeah. 
And he had, he had a couple stories like that that I still just didn't just he's probably told those to millions of people, you know, but they're great stories. So. Yeah, they are. I I I felt like I got to know him through your podcast. And I think that's yeah. great. And plus I get to talk to you and hear some other uh kind of behind the scenes um details about Joe Humphreys. And I think that's great. Yeah. And I and and that leads into the next thing, how Joe was enamored with your art. I guess. And I, I want you to talk you you admit you're an artist, right? You don't dabble, yeah. you do it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell tell us, talk about it. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've always, you know, done art. It's it's like one of these things where um I mean you've probably got some things that you, you just can't not do something, right? And so art is something I just can't not do, you know, I have to do it. And uh and I really didn't start painting until my middle kid, uh Susan. Uh, was really showing a lot of a lot of talent you know like she would be in a room journaling she like to likes to journal and then she would go paint what she's journaling and that just really inspired me I thought this is fantastic you know and she'd just all come out of her head and so one day we were down in the basement when she was in high school she's you know 28 now 29 and uh I just joined her and I painted something you know and and uh, I remember showing it to the friends that would come over and they were very complimentary and uh, I play guitar too, and no one ever was that complimentary about my guitar playing. Like I said, I was in a band in college, and we weren't very good, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, but you know, all through high school and college, I took seven semesters of ceramics in college. You know, and uh, I've always done stuff with my hands, done stuff with art. But anyway, that sort of um, this 10, 12 years ago, that really kind of launched a uh, foray into art, and it has turned into like a little side business that I do. So. Um, I sell a lot of art on eBay and I give 50% of the, the funds to charity and the rest covers my costs. Uh, and uh, I've sold dozens and dozens and dozens of paintings to people, you know, off the web. And, and it just brings me a lot of joy because I can't have 60, 70 paintings laying around my house collecting dust. You know, I'd much rather have them on the wall. And I think I'm, you know, fairly priced. I, you know, I don't give it away, but you know, it's the money's going to charity. So I think, you know, hopefully people see it as a good cause, but it's just something I just love doing. And the, what medium are you painting in? Uh, it's all oils. Yeah. Which and, oh, uh, oils, but it, oils is actually one of the easiest mediums to paint. It's very forgiving compared to like watercolor. Yeah. You, you, you think so? Oh, totally. Yeah. Watercolor is much harder than oils. Oils. You can win any argument with an oil painting with a scraper. <laughs> 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 yes this is true this is true yeah. i will i will i will say though that uh i paint too oh and, you do uh -huh, huh. i do nice. and my i my mother is a is really the artist of the family so anything i get um i think i get some of my uh, creative analytical business brain stuff from my dad and the creative art stuff that i uh, admire nice. most more i get from my mother but she was wonderful with watercolor and never did really did oils. And, and I used to always watch Bob Ross and stuff. And I was like, why don't I, you know, why can't I paint with those? But I will say that, <laughs> that one, when you're a, did you start with oil? Um, yeah, I did. Yeah. I've done acrylics too. I just don't like it as much. It dries so fast. You, you gotta, you can't blend. Is yeah. See, so that's, just, so that's what I would say is I went on the other side, right? I was always doing acrylic and watercolor then i get over to oil and i'm like god would this stuff just harden up so that i can get a little more like i gotta go over it and it right. just keeps wanting to smear 
Right. Yeah. You know? wet so, and wet. yeah. So I think, yeah. I think what's easier depends on the person. Right. That's true. You know, it's, it's what you, what you practice at and get good at, but for sure, watercolors, you know, you've got to really draw it all out very carefully in advance. And um, you have, to, if you want white, you have to leave that space white, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. now I put highlights on last on oil. You know, I don't ever use white. It's always tinted with something. You know, there's very few white in the natural right. environment. It's nothing's white. Right. Maybe snow, but even snow's got a lot of color in it. But um, you come in after at the end and you add those highlights. You know, but um, no, that's great. I didn't know you were uh, you were doing some painting, Jordan. That's cool. Yeah, I can send you the the original Trout Power uh, logo image or whatever ah. um, was a painting that I did, which what which I got inspired by um tim borski uh, looked at something tim did and i okay painted it and um and i just had ad maddox on as a guest on the podcast i'm gonna get her uh edited up and i'll actually i'll okay. just text texting her today but i think it's 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 awesome that you're that That's you're cool. also an artist and i think you've got a lot of talents steve and i think that the um, it's nice you well you know the in leadership and stuff, we talk about full brain thinking, right? Right brain versus left brain and trying to blend the two. And I think right. it's, I, the more I get to know you and also your spiritual beliefs, yeah. I can tell that you're tapping on, uh, firing on a lot, of, a lot of creative cylinders in your brain, <laughs> which is cool. I'm glad you're an artist. No, it's fun. It's, uh, I was just going to say one, a couple of things about artists um, and just artwork. So please do. But um, for anybody out there who's listening, um, you know, go take some lessons somewhere, go to your local art center and get some help initially, right? It can be very frustrating without it, but the, the core, the foundation to any artwork is drawing skills, right? So, uh, you know, that's something you can just do on your own. Go get a pad of paper, go get a pencil and sit outside on your back porch and go draw a leaf, go draw, you know, the potted plant, go draw, you know, something that's stationary and easy, you know, come inside and draw the salt shaker and really try to look at all the things going on with the light, really try to observe very closely, right? And just practice your drawing for a while, right? Um, you can get online and watch some YouTube videos and whatnot. Bob, everybody starts with Bob Ross, you know, but I won't say too much, but you want to graduate beyond Bob Ross pretty quickly when it comes to oil painting. There are some techniques he uses that are helpful for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, draw first and then um, just lower your expectations. You know, you're not Renoir. You're not Monet, you know, <laughs> and you might never be. I'm never going to be, you know, uh, I, their magic with colors is off the charts. It really, it's incredible. Um, but, you know, just see if you can do a few things and pick an easy, strong subject. Like, like, don't try to, don't try, I don't know, it, it have a strong subject. Go find a barn out in the country, Right and paint the trees and the barn's a very strong subject. It's got four sides, you know, it's nothing too complicated. You know, instead of trying to paint, you know, this Southern mansion with pillars and all kinds of things going on, just try to do something simple, right? And think simple shapes. Um, so often people get hung up in the details of a painting early on and really painting's all about, you know, having a strong foundation of big shapes that'll carry the painting, right? And then you start adding to those shapes and dropping in more and more detail into those shapes. And remember, detail attracts attention, right? So if you want to have a focal point, you add detail to it. If you want to have a focal point, you add color and contrast to it. So the whole painting doesn't need to be full of detail. It doesn't, the whole painting doesn't need full of color and contrast, right? So those are tools that you use to draw attention to what's important. 
in a painting. But I think having a strong subject is, is and that gets down to composition is and, and drawing skills is the most important thing when you're getting started. I would also, I would carry on with that and tell you that there's actually, I believe, a, cor a correlation uh, to an artist's eye and reading the water. Heck yeah. Because as you, as an artist, you look at uh, color and depth and perspective, and you might add, a, a, you know, might add blue to a color to try to have it, you know, go back into the canvas and a warmer sure. color to have it come forward. That same type of thing, when you're reading the water, any, any accomplished angler knows that they can look at a situation and their eyes are trained to pick out and look at things a certain way. So right. if you can, right. if you think you can read a trout stream, you probably have a creative talent to, to. You know, when I first started paint. going up to the Sable, I was really fortunate because the, the guy um, that invited, this is right out of college in the eighties, the guy that invited me to come up there with him, invited me to join his group of friends who'd been fishing up there a long time. And he, he was a, a guide at the A-Bar-A ranch out in Wyoming. I did a show on the A-Bar-A ranch. Uh, and uh, he taught me observation. And, you know, your your initial instinct is to just wade in and start casting. Oh, there's got to be some fish around here somewhere. You know, there's, well, don't do that. You know, call your lineup and sit on the bank for a good 10, 15 minutes and watch and see what's going on. Because once you're in there, you're staring at your fly, particularly your dry fly fishing, or you're staring at your, your indicator, whatever you're doing. And you lose the power of observation. You know, you might all of a sudden hear a splash that's 100 yards up the stream. And by the time you look up, it's gone. But if you sit down and figure out what is really going on, particularly as a river like the Osable, and I'm sure you get the same thing in the Adirondacks, where there's, you know, let's say the first week in June, there could be 18 different flies coming off that river in June. And, you know, your luck would be that, you know, hey, you're seeing a lot of brown drakes, but, you know, they're taking some kind of a stonefly, you know, and you just missed it because you're so busy casting. So right. I'd rather, you know, switch over to safari hunting. You think of it that way, you know, I'm going to go try to catch three rising fish tonight. You know, the hatch is going to last 45 minutes and I'm going to really work and try to catch three nice fish. And I'm going to wait for a nice size splash. And then I'm going to get in position. I'm going to cast that thing and I'm going to get those fish. And to me, that's so much more rewarding than just sloshing around and catching a bunch of seven inch trout when I could have caught three 15, 16 inches if I just observed. I agree. You got a lot of wisdom. Steve. I don't know about that. But no, uh, this is good stuff. I'm glad I'm getting it documented. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start closing it in here. And um sure. you know, there's always you you've talked about a lot of stuff here, and and Joe Humphreys gave us some in the seam kind of guidelines on life and stuff. And I wanted you yeah. to I wanted you to close close the podcast here with some closing remarks. We learned a lot about you today. What kind of uh wisdom do you want to leave everybody you know um yeah that's a good question uh i don't know if i have a good answer for you you know to me faith is foundational for me you know i'm a i'm a christ believer and uh and uh without that uh i just feel like uh christ ordains your steps right that it uh you know uh, you you have a part to play in it for sure right but i feel like uh you know, for believers that uh, Christ is orchestrating everything behind the scenes in your life and everything's happening for a reason. So having that faith, you know, really gives me a foundation of, you know, why worry? You know, um, not that I don't worry, but it really, I think, removes a lot of that. And just having that assurance uh, to me is really important. So 
when I first became a believer in college, um, I'll never forget it. Uh, I was in a fraternity. I was in one of my bandmates brought me to Christ and, uh, I'll never forget it within three months, all my friends had changed. All of them had changed. And I wasn't trying to do that, but I had all these new friends. And like three months later, I looked around and said, well, this is really crazy. And it, it turns out they were all believers. And that's why I say God just is orchestrating your life. You know, and I have really just never looked back from that moment on. You know, I consider myself very fortunate because most people don't, you know, very few people come to Christ as adults. It's almost always something happens when you're a child. It's faith is given you by your, by your parents, typically. Uh, so I feel, you know, super fortunate. And it's been a huge part of my life. Yeah, I hope people pick up on that as they listen to my podcast. You know, we've been able to get a few things in here and there, like with you, when you and I talked about it. It's good to have you as a friend. It's good to have you on this podcast for people to hear. I, uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful situation this last week, uh, or this, this week on Wednesday when I fished and, um, and I caught four of the biggest brook trout in the Adirondacks I've ever caught. Wow. And, um, as you know, I've had, I've had a, a rough, uh, couple weeks with, with my daughter being sick and stuff. And, um, <laughs> I actually, I, I caught the last fish that I caught. I knew I had to get going. I, I, I started to cry a little bit because I felt like I, wow. it, I felt like it was my first fish. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. Because I, I just don't fish it anymore. I just don't get out. I'm always with other people and I love fishing with other people. Don't get me wrong. Anybody that fishes with me, trust me, I'm fishing with you because I love fishing with you. I just don't do it much myself. And I, and it was a, it was blue sky white clouds here and there i got done catching that fish and i was kind of touched and i knew what was going on and would you believe there was a sun shower of course <laughs> and and i knew it was for just a short amount of time and i thought what other direct way could heaven say it was watching over me than to rain on yeah. me for, for like two minutes yeah Oh, that's cool. Just yeah, okay. Amazing, right? Just amazing. And I've had yeah. a lot of people on this podcast that have talked about things that have happened to them that um, that are pretty traumatic. And everybody's got a pretty good, really excellent outlook, including yourself. Yeah. I've got a couple more guests that you're going to hear about that have had some real, real amazing battles with things. And they, uh, and they come out on top. And there's yeah, a reason for that. So there's absolutely a reason. It's not a, it's not a coincidence. No, it's you know, not. It, uh, it's not. I went through something in... Uh, in the 90s called the Great Banquet, which was like this three-day retreat. And it's unlike any other uh, retreat. And it's a national movement and uh, changed my life. And, you know, we would always say that in the Great Banquet. You know, people would tell these stories and we'd look at a coincidence. I think not. You know, yeah. none of this is a coincidence. It's orchestrated. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you very, very much for being on here. I'm going to say goodbye to you and uh, we'll stay in touch. I really, I, you got open invitation. Get out here. Awesome. Let's, go, let's get the Jeep muddy. Okay. Just might. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks Sounds, for having me. You got it. Thanks, Steve. All right. See you, Jordan. Bye. Bye.